Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. When we are children, we ask questions upon questions. As adults, many of us lose that expression of innate curiosity and even become embarrassed about asking questions at all. And that's a shame, as questions are one of the most powerful tools to elevate ourselves and the world we live in. Questions are not only deeply revealing about the person who asks, but are profound drivers of our culture and of human history. The right question at the right time can change everything, from the course of a relationship to the course of the world. There is an art to asking the right questions, and questions can also be wielded as weapons. How to learn one and to recognize and deal with the other is something this episode's guest is intimately familiar with. Warren Berger is a questionologist. He's the author of internationally best-selling books, such as The Book of Beautiful Questions, The Powerful Questions That Will Help You Decide, Create, Connect, and Lead. And he's also the creator of the popular website, amorebeautifulquestion.com. Warren has interviewed and studied hundreds of the world's leading innovators, designers, and creative thinkers to analyze how they ask fundamental questions, solve problems, and create new possibilities. He has zeroed in on the power of questioning in our lives and written about why questioning leads to innovation, how it can help you be more successful in your career, and how we can all get better at asking the kind of beautiful questions that spark change in our businesses and lives. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Warren, thank you so much for joining us on the Superhumanized podcast today. I'm very grateful you made time for us. Thank you. It's great to be here. I remember as a child, I there's one particular story that has utterly fascinated me and one specific part, and it's Alice in Wonderland. And it's the part where the caterpillar asks Alice, who are you? Even when I was little and I didn't quite grasp the entire scope of this question, it just struck a chord within me. Um, and I would like to start out this conversation by asking you if you would be willing to share with us one of the most profound questions you have ever been asked. Oh, wow. One of the questions I share a lot with people is one that has become popular in the last few years in Silicon Valley. And but it actually the origins of it go back to a, a pastor about 40 years ago who asked his congregation, what would you attempt to do if you knew you couldn't fail? Mm. So the idea behind that question is to take away the constraint of fear of failure, just temporarily put it aside 
so that you can use your imagination to think about if I wasn't afraid of failing, then what would I try? What, what ambitious things might I take on if I wasn't thinking about the possibility of failure? So it's a really great question. And I love questions that do exactly what that question does. I love questions that allow us to shift reality, mm-hmm. maybe only for a few minutes. There are those classic questions like, what would you do if you only had 24 hours to live? Mm-hmm. Or what would you do if money was no object or something like that? And I love those kinds of, I call them constraint questions because you're either removing a constraint or you may be putting a constraint on. One example of putting a constraint on is Steve Jobs at Apple used to say to people at his company, if you had to create this product and you only had a dollar to work with, what would you do? So it was putting this artificial constraint on in order to force them to use their imagination in, in new ways. So I love those kinds of questions that, that use maybe use constraints or something else to create a, an artificial reality so we can see things differently. And then it opens up our imagination. And sometimes we get ideas we would never otherwise get. Beautiful. And I think this is also at the core and is the beauty of questions is that they open up worlds for us, around us, but also inside us. And when we're children, most of us, I remember myself, I was just asking, driving my parents insane. And it seems that when we're very young, we have this innate desire that we also express, this curious inquiry. And it's very free. It's very uninhibited. But it also seems that as we grow up, especially as adults, we become increasingly uptight or even embarrassed about asking questions. Why is that? I think it's hard to identify a single factor, but it is definitely true that we question less, or many of us question less as we mature and as we get older. When I looked into the research on this, the maximum questioning period seems to be around age four to five. Mm -hmm. And in particular, some of the studies found that a four-year-old girl is the ultimate questioning machine. (laughs) So a four-year-old girl asks something like 300 questions or 400 questions a day. And um, a boy is asking a lot too, (laughs) but the girl is a little ahead. And, uh, And then what happens after that is at that stage, children are still at home. They're around their parents a lot. They, they move into school, they start to be around peers. And I think what happens is social pressure starts to build over time. They become very concerned with appearances. The four or five-year-old who's asking questions doesn't care anything about appearances. And you never think about when you're a four-year-old or five-year-old asking questions, oh, is this a dumb question? That thought would never even occur to you. But as you get older, that thought occurs to to us all the time. And I think that fear of revealing what you don't know causes us to pull back on our questions, along with other things. Another thing is just that as we grow older, we start to feel as if we know more. And as we know more, and sometimes knowledge is the enemy of questioning, because sometimes if we feel we know already, then we won't ask. And it's a real, it's a real problem for experts, like people who are leaders or business leaders or have been doing something for a long time. They, ha- they fall into the trap of expertise, which is assuming they know more than they do. 
and they stop questioning, mm -hmm. they stop exploring. And because of that, they a lot of times they get in trouble. They quickly um, fall behind the latest developments or they, they get out of step with new things. So it's a real challenge for all of us to, you know, be humble about what we know and keep on questioning like that four or five year old child and don't be afraid to question. Don't be afraid of asking naive questions because those are some of the best questions you can ever ask. So I think we need to maintain some of that. I say to people, you have to embrace that four-year-old questioner, that four-year-old girl inside you. You have to embrace that questioning spirit of that child. Absolutely. And I have tried to, over the last, actually quite many years, I've really uh, made a practice out of both. I have certain areas in life that I have accumulated a lot of knowledge. I, on purpose, practice questioning things. I think I know, and I found out, let's just take something very simple, like um, working out in a certain way. And mm -hmm. after quite a few years of, of practice in a certain area, I feel very confident. I'm quite knowledgeable, but questioning more, whether I do it online or whether I talk to people who I consider my betters, real experts in, in these uh, domains, I learn more and I actually am able to better myself. So that's right. really exciting to be able to level up. And it's been really helpful to me to just keep that open. And it's a practice. I also tend to be like, ah, I don't know, know enough about this. So it's, it's really reminding myself and what you just yeah. But also to keep this four-year-old questioner alive, that's also something I put into practice because I've discovered, first of all, the amazing, it's like a buffet for the mind and for the soul of what we can learn when we just ask and we're not afraid to ask. It's so mm -hmm. beneficial. Worlds open up and whomever you ask in 99% of the cases, people are so happy when you ask and they're so happy to share what they know. So it's actually also very conducive for building relationships, for connecting with people. Absolutely. It's one of the best tools for relationship building. In fact, there's a lot of research that shows that asking questions is maybe the best way to build trust mm -hmm. with people. And it's the reason why people like hostage negotiators. I, when I was doing my book, I actually interviewed a hostage negotiator. And so that's someone who has to, by the nature of their job, they have to build trust immediately. And it's critical, right? And so if you talk to a hostage negotiator, you'll find what they do is they use questions. That's the way they do it. And the same with a therapist, the same with a coach. So people that whose job is to build trust and relationships and rapport, you'll find that they use questioning very well. And the rest of us can learn from that, I feel, because we have to, in some ways, do some of the same things. We have to build trust and rapport and get people to open up to us, share with us. And you do that through questioning. It's one of your best tools for doing that. Indeed, because when you, instead of telling people what you perceive asking them and about themselves or asking to confirm whether what you heard is correct makes them feel seen, makes them feel right. heard. And there's no better way to make somebody feel comfortable with you. When we first meet people, usually we tend to ask things like, what do you do first? Right. What may, and it's pretty natural, it's what we've learned, how to move around socially, and but what may be a better approach to asking a first set of questions to get to know someone and establish a better relationship from the start? Yeah, that, that habitual questions, 
those habitual questions, I think of them as rote questions because we ask them by rote, like, how are you? How's it going? And those are fine. They don't really accomplish anything because what yeah. you get back is rote answers. But they're okay for just going through the motions. But if you really want to connect with people, what you want to do is uh, tap into something they're really interested in or excited about or passionate about. Now, the problem with asking, what do you do for your job, is that might not be their passion area. Maybe it is, but it might not be. So I feel that rather than ask people, what do you do? Uh, a more effective question is like, what are you really passionate about these days? What are you excited about? What's, what are you working on? What's, what's your passion? And if you can get people talking about their passion, it's really, it really opens things up. And then the other thing you can do is as you're doing that is use follow-up questions to dig deeper. So someone says, yeah, I'm really passionate about, I've really gotten into hiking these days. And you could ask something like, really, what is it about hiking that really you know, turns you on? What is it that's great about it? Or what have you learned about hiking to, to get the most out of it? So you burrow in on those passions by asking follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, you mentioned it, these road questions, which they are. <laughs> I think they also are often tied to the culture we live in. Have you mm -hmm. actually noticed a difference in the kind of questions and the way questions are asked across cultures? And if so, what are they? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting question. What I've noticed about some cultures is some cultures are more comfortable asking very direct and honest questions of other people. And then other cultures feel very guarded about it. When uh, certain, I would say, maybe European cultures, I've found people will, will ask you almost anything. And they don't have any um, reservations about it. They're very straightforward about it. And then there are some cultures where people feel like, I don't want to offend someone. So I'm going to be very, I, either I won't ask questions at all, or I'll be really careful in how I ask questions. So to me, that is the biggest difference is whether or not questions are perceived within a culture as confrontational or intrusive mm. or maybe disrespectful. And mm. if they're perceived that way, then you will find that people within that culture tread very carefully in how they use questions. And I think something that, unless people already are aware of that, something that's really important to keep in mind is that questions are meant to reveal something by mm -hmm. means of the answer that they're given. But I found that questions are actually also always very revealing about the person who asked. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And you can, you can ask questions in a bad way, or you can ask questions that are not good questions. And I, I talk about that a lot, that <clears throat> it's not like every question is a great question. There are questions that are actually can be very negative. Mm -hmm. And can be, there are people that will sometimes use questions as a way to attack or as a way to criticize. So when someone says to you, you've made a mistake in some way, and they say, what were you thinking when you did that? That's not a real, to me, that's not an authentic question because they don't really want to know what you were thinking. It's a way of telling you, you weren't thinking. You weren't thinking right when you did that. So there's a lot of that kind of questioning where people will take an opinion or a statement or a criticism or something, and they'll put it in the form of a question 
because that somehow is maybe more, it gives them license to be more critical or to do things. And I, that really bothers me as a question person. I feel like that is abuse of questions. It's abusing the form. And so what I say to people is you, a good question should always have curiosity behind it. So you should really want to know something when you're asking a question. And if you don't want to know and you're using your question to criticize or to show off or whatever, then that to me is like a counterfeit question. It's not a real, authentic, good question. Yes. And what I really intrigued me about you, Warren, what I absolutely love is you um, call yourself a questionologist. Yes. What made you so curious? What was the inciting incident or moment that made you so curious about questions? Yeah. And also what surprised you most during the course of your research? Yeah, I guess what it was when I was, I started out as a journalist and as a very young, I was a journalist when I was 18, 19 and working for college newspapers and things like that, and then became a newspaper reporter. And so for many years, questions were a tool of the trade for me. But I did notice something interesting. I, and this occurred to me even at the time. I was going out there every day as a reporter, and I was asking questions. But yet, when I went to journalism school, I went to a, a very good journalism school at um, Syracuse University. And There was nothing on questioning. Like in all the courses that's part of your journalistic training, I never got a single course that was focused on asking questions, which is really strange. So that was always in my head as I was a journalist, because I would have to work on my questions and try to ask good questions. And I thought, gee, isn't it interesting that in journalism school, they never really taught this skill, which I have to use every single day. So that was always there. And for years, I was crafting my own questions, but I wasn't a questionologist yet because I was really only, at that stage, I was really only interested in one kind of questioning, which is the kinds of questions a journalist asks. And those are great, but they're just one kind of many types of questions. So that's what I was focused on. Somewhere along the line, as I was doing my journalism work, I started to interview a lot of innovators, a lot of business leaders. Um, scientists, creative people, creative artists. And I noticed that they were asking questions, but they were different from the kinds of questions I was asking. They were asking questions that were oftentimes, I would say, internal questions as opposed to external. So they weren't just going up to somebody else and saying, why this or what that. They were in their head thinking, why does the world work the way it works? And what are the reasons for that? And what could I do differently? And how would I do that? So I found that it, it, what I discovered was that questions were this driving force. And that was an epiphany for me to realize, no, que that questions are not just about getting information out of somebody. They're also about how you see the world. They're about how you innovate. They're about how you make decisions. They're about how you have relationships with people. So once I realized that, that just changed everything for me. And then I decided I want to write about, I want to focus in on questioning. And for before that, for 25, 30 years, I used to write about a million different subjects and I would write about something and then I would just go on to the next subject. But once I landed on this felt like something I should stay with. And so I've been doing that now for, you know, like almost 10 years, written three books on it. And I'm just staying with it because it's such a powerful subject and it's so deep. I can just go deeper 
and and just there's almost no limit to what you can do with questions and and the different directions you can take it in. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing this. And yeah, questions are powerful. You just talked about the internal questions, for example, of scientists. And uh, I think whether it's allowed to question or not, whether it's a direct question or it's an internal type of questioning can be deeply revealing about a time or culture, you know, when it's prohibited by the penalty of death to even right. question certain things. Let's think about Galilei, for example, right. you know, question the established cosmology and religious world order by questioning the movement of the stars. What are some of the most profound ways that the right questions have impacted the course of the world and humanity? Oh, they just, at one point when I was writing my book, I would I was tracing back different types of breakthroughs or innovations. And it was amazing how many of them go back to somebody asking a question. The Olympic Games, you go back to its origin, and the person who started the Olympic Games was at, was pursuing a question. He was asking a question. I'm not going to get the wording exactly, but he was wondering, what if you could get countries to compete on the field of sport instead of in the battlefield? And so he saw the Olympics as a way to create peace in the world. But it started as a question, like, how could you do that and how would it work? And then all of the uh, so many scientific breakthroughs or business breakthroughs, the cell phone, the internet started with a question. So it's just really um, interesting how questions are at the root of change or breakthroughs. The reason why I think that's true is because before a change happens, the world is just is as it is. But a lot of times the world is not working as well as it might be working. Something is lacking. Something's missing. What happens when a questioner sees that, the questioner, he or she, will ask, why does this problem exist? Or what if we pursued this opportunity? How might we change the way things are by doing this or that? So the questioner comes along and raises a question about shifting reality, changing reality. Uh, and that is the beginning of change. Mm -hmm. it's, it's only the beginning, I should add, because you have to, the key to having change come about from questions is that somebody has to pursue that question. They have to take ownership of it. A lot of us walk around and, and we ask questions, gee, why hasn't someone figured out a solution to this problem? But then we don't do anything. We just move on. So all we're really doing is really complaining. Why is there such a, why is it so hard to use this can opener or why is it? And so we, we use questions that way as a kind of complaint. But the people who change the world, they start with that question, why is this thing so hard to use? But then they stay with it and they share the question with others and they, they move on to other questions. Okay, not only do I understand why it's hard to use, but now I'm starting to think about what if we designed it differently? Or what if we did that? And how would we make that happen? How would we make it work? So the questioners are, they're taking ownership of the original question, but then they're also evolving it into other questions. And eventually they're getting to an answer. And hopefully they're getting to an answer. And when they do that, when they get to the answer, the world changes, something is different, something is new, 
we have something that we didn't have. Yes, indeed. And questions are such a powerful tool. I like to imagine questioners holding their question like torchbearers onto the darkness and bringing mm. light to it. Yeah. Uh, for example, something else that comes to mind are the suffragettes here in the United States questioning why should women not vote? Why oughtn't women not have the right to vote? So it starts with a question. It starts with shining light into a darkness or a certain thing that's perceived as a status quo. Oh, it's always been like that. And then it's about following through. Thank you for mm -hmm. clarifying. That's really key here. You mentioned it before you started out as a journalist. I'd like to know from you, Warren, what do you think the state of journalism is today with regard to question. It's not great. I think what has happened in journalism is there has been a there has been a transition in journalism more and more over the years towards entertainment. And as that has happened, as journalism has become more entertainment driven, it changes the questions that are asked because originally its original purpose it was to uncover truths to learn about new things or to figure out why something is happening. So it was all about getting information and getting to the truth. And so when you were trying to do that, your questions were very authentic, right? Because they were really curious, probing questions that tried to get at some new information. As you move into an entertainment realm, your questions become more performative. So you are, your questions are part of the performance. Mm -hmm. that you are doing for the audience. Now, this changes the whole nature of the question because now its purpose changes. Its purpose may not be to get new information or to learn. Its purpose may be to make the questioner look good or to make the person on the other end look bad or something like that. So there are all these agendas now that really aren't necessarily about getting to the truth. They're about this entertainment this piece of entertainment that is being done. And there's a particular thing going on now, which I'll share with you. It's uh, there are people that are using questioning to make outrageous statements, a lot of pundits and people like that. And they're saying things, one of the, one of the pundits was talking about the start of the, uh, of the invasion and the war in Ukraine. And he was suggesting this outrageous theory that maybe Ukraine was staging the whole thing as a to get attention or something. And so he put that in the form of a question. He said, what if this whole thing is just being made up? And, uh, and there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. And there's even a term for it that I saw on in the Urban Dictionary. They refer to it as jacking off, <laughs> which is spelled J-A-Q. And J-A-Q stands for just asking questions. Because oftentimes the person will make this outrageous, outlandish, statement in the form of a question. And then they'll say, hey, I'm just asking. I'm mm -hmm. just asking a question. So what's going on there is they're using questioning the same way as I mentioned before with criticism or whatever. They're using questioning to pursue some kind of an agenda. They want to get a crazy idea out there or they want to, they want to put something out there. They'll put it in the form of a question, an outrageous question. And then they'll say, you can't criticize me because I'm just asking questions and we want people to ask questions. So you, you shouldn't shut me down. So a, that's a very disturbing trend, I think. And, and there are things like that going on in journalism, in, in entertainment, where people are just using 
questioning as a way to, again, just fire people up, get them angry, do whatever it is they need to do to get the biggest audience. Yes. And the most clicks and the most advertising floors, I think is really important that we acknowledge that and that we keep that in the back of our minds. And a good indicator for that is whenever we see something posed as a quote question, if it elicits some sort of an emotional response and whether it's anger or some kind of euphoria that's not necessarily warranted by a mere question, then it's always good to look a little deeper and see if this is actually just something, a question getting weaponized in order to be manipulative. And one of the things you should do when you see people asking those questions is is to ask yourself, do I think this person really is interested in learning Mm. or does it appear that this person has already made up their mind on this issue? So a lot of times that's how you can tell the difference between these sort of weaponized just asking questions and real authentic questions is you can tell by the attitude of the questioner if they are genuinely curious and genuinely open to learning that kind of comes through and if they're simply have pursuing an agenda that usually comes through too and you can tell they've already made up their mind it's pretty clear so they even though they're putting something out there as a question you it's clear that they've already decided they know what the answer is. Mm, Indeed. And so the one, on the one side, there are questions that aren't really questions, but they are attacks. And on the other side, there are the right questions, the beautiful Mm. questions. And uh, part of being, uh, for example, a good leader, a good team member is being able to ask the right questions. So What would be a beautiful the, for a leader? The the most the ultimate question is how can I help? <laughs> because what leaders the, the, it's the most important thing they do is they their role is to inspire other people and to help them to pursue their own questions. So I think as a leader, that's the way you should think about the, the, being almost the the model questioner for everyone else and your. You're pursuing big questions, but you're also encouraging them, the people around you, to pursue questions. And at the same time, you're at you're offering to help them any way you can. If they need some support uh, or they need some assistance, your role as a leader is to be there for them. Mm. It's an interesting thing because leaders, this requires almost a flip of, of the psychology because leaders for so many years were trained to think of themselves as the answer people, the people you come to for answers, the people who know everything, the people who are the experts. And so we have a whole, we have generations of leaders who came up that way. But now I think we need new generations of leaders who have a different approach. They, they can't think of themselves as having all the answers because nobody does. The world is too complex and it's changing too quickly. So anybody who positions themselves as having all the answers is just wrong and they're going to get in trouble and they're going to lead their people off a cliff. So the new leader has to be very humble and be able to say, I don't have all the answers, but they also have to be confident because if you're going to go in front of people and admit you don't have all the answers and you're asking questions, you have to be very confident to do that because otherwise most people are afraid that if they do that, 
then people won't follow them. People will say, I'm not following this person. He doesn't know all the answers or she doesn't know all the answers. So it's an interesting balance of confidence and humility that new leaders have to be able to go to the go to everyone and say, I don't have all the answers. I want to pursue the big questions with you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pursue the questions together. Mm-hmm. Or and, some- and, yeah. And by the way, one of the things I say to business leaders when I go and talk to them is you should think of these big questions you're putting out there and sharing with your company as mission questions. Mm. And they're better than mission statements. They really are because most companies have mission statements, but a mission question is much more engaging. So if you, I say to these business leaders, you might even want to think about taking your company's mission statement and changing it into a question. Because if you, for example, let's say a, a company that let's say they're a robotics company, right? And their mission statement is something like, we use robotics to change the world. That would be their big, bold mission statement. We use robotics to change the world. They'd be better off having it be, how might we use robotics to change the world? Just by putting how might we on the beginning of it. And what that does is it, it says to people in your organization, this is a mission we're on. We haven't done it already. And we need help. We need, it's very, questions are very inviting, very engaging. So it's, we want everyone to help figure out how might we do this. And you, you get people engaged in the mission that way, as opposed to just putting a statement out there where they either believe it or they don't, they either res- accept it or they resist it. There's not much they can do with it, right? A mission statement just gets laid on people and they say, okay, whatever, that's the mission statement. And sometimes it's boastful. Sometimes it sounds like an advertising slogan. Yeah. But if you change it to a question, it's humble and it's like forward looking and it's saying, yeah, this really is a mission. We're trying to figure it out. Come join us. I like that approach very much because here you also have that invitation you extend forward to connect and to be part of something, be part of a mission, be part of a movement. I really also loved what you said about the leaders and how we need a new generation of leaders. And I was reminded of something that really stuck in my mind during the years that Barack Obama was president. And he used, when he got asked a question that he didn't have an answer to, he would just say, I don't know the answer right now, mm. but I'll right. find out for you. I'll find out. That's yes. great. And yeah. be able to acknowledge that, yeah, I, I, I can't tell you right now because I don't have the knowledge, but I am willing and ready to seek the knowledge, seek the answer, and then provide you with it. I think that's also just, uh, that was excellent. It's, it's, a good, it's a good lesson for everyone, anyone who ever does a speech, who gives a presentation anywhere, because it, there's always the possibility someone is going to ask you a question that you really don't know the answer to. And a lot of times people will try to fake their way through it. They'll try to somehow off the top of their head, come up with some stuff. And, and a lot of times when you do that, you end up making mistakes or you can get yourself into trouble doing that. So it's a really good lesson for anybody, even teachers, even school teachers need to do that sometimes because every now and then a student will ask a question that the teacher doesn't have the answer to. And there's absolutely no shame in admitting you don't have the answer. And what you say is let's, I'll get back to you or let's explore this together. Let's try to figure it out together. And parents can do that too, by the way, with their children. If their children are asking lots and lots of questions, 
Don't feel you have to have all the answers. Just be welcoming of the question and show an interest in the question and maybe give some encouragement to the questioner to say, hey, you should, I don't know the answer to this, but you should explore this. This is a really good question. Mm -hmm. What great role models we would be for our children. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Are there any questions that we'd rather ought not to ask? What comes to mind is the question such as, can I be honest with you, which would imply that everything I've said before was actually not true. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably an unnecessary question. I think what people are, do sometimes with with that is they are paving the way for for criticism, for offering criticism. And I wonder if it, there might not be a better way to use questioning. If, if you feel you want to get some criticism across to someone, there might be a better way to do that through questioning and saying, if a person is failing to pursue a certain area, instead of saying, I don't understand why you don't pursue this, you could just put it as a curiosity thing. I'm wondering why you, what drove you to, or to pursue this other direction instead of this direction. So I think a lot of times you can take criticism and shift it into curiosity on your part, where you say, I'm wondering, I'm wondering about this thing that you're doing or this choice you made. And if you replace judgment with curiosity, mm. it always works out better because people are, they respond okay to curiosity, but they do not respond well to judgment. So I think the questions we shouldn't ask are the ones that, you know, that full of judgment or full of, or are negative, overly negative. There's a whole school of, of inquiry called appreciative inquiry, mm -hmm. which suggests that we ought to think about how to frame our questions in more positive ways. So if you're starting a, a business meeting, and one of the, the people who's the leader of this movement of appreciative inquiry said, he noted that 90% of business meetings start with someone talking about a problem. <laughs> so he said, almost every business meeting starts with someone saying, we have a problem here. And he was saying that instead of asking right away about the problem, you're better off sometimes thinking about what are we doing? Mm -hmm. We know we're doing some things wrong, but let's start with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And maybe the first questions we ask are going to be about what are we doing well? And then you bridge into how can we take what we're doing well and bring it over to this other area where there's some need of improvement? That's a whole way of thinking about questioning that as much as possible, try to shift it to more positive, a more positive tone, a more positive approach. Yes. And that, that can really work wonders. Mm, yes. And for those amongst the listeners who would uh, like to learn much more about that, they can get your beautiful book. It's called The Book of Beautiful Questions, The Powerful Questions That Will Help You Decide, Create, Connect, and Lead. You wrote a bunch of books. You just mentioned it before, you know, how also teachers in a mm. classroom can use questions actually to basically make a, an amazing space out of this learning place called the classroom. And that book is called Beautiful Questions in the Classroom, Transforming Classrooms into Cultures of Curiosity and Inquiry. I think it's so amazing that you have made this incredible 
practice, a mission of yours, the practice of asking questions. And I would like to ask you if there is any other practices that have accompanied you throughout your life or that maybe some recent practices that have also elevated your state of being, your mind, your brain, your emotions, your physically. Is there anything else you would share with us, Warren? The one thing that's been really important for me is um, is solitude and and disconnect disconnecting, which I think a lot of people are talking about this these days. But it's one of the big. So to me, there are two big issues that I'm focused on that I think are like they're like big issues in our world, and and one is has to do with questioning and critical thinking, and and feeling that people are not doing enough critical thinking and questioning, and so they need to do more of that. But the other big area to me has to do with disconnecting a little bit, allowing yourself to think more, to hear your own voice, finding ways to get away from the noise into some some little form of little oasis of quiet of quiet thinking. And and I do that. I have a, a small office I go to it has no internet, no no phone, nothing. And so I will cut myself off for extended periods of time so that I can actually focus and be creative. And I really think this is something everyone has to now f- pay attention to because the, the, the distractions are so constant that what it's doing is it's, it's breaking down our ability to create and to focus. So instead of creating, we're simply reacting all the time. We're just in reaction mode. And, and so we need to get from reaction mode into create creative mode and i think that requires you to disrupt your schedule a little bit go someplace else do something different to break the the noise pattern that's so important that resonates deeply with me too i'm actually quite a hermit <laughs> and mm. without this recharge time and it just it, it takes it takes me out of the fight or flight mode it takes me out of being reactionary and right. being able to hear your own inner voice again and Absolutely. spark that creativity Warren, for people who would like to connect with you or uh, find out more about you, where can they do so? Yeah, the best place is uh, my main website, which is named after my first book. My first book was called A More Beautiful Question. Mm-hmm. And, and so my website is www.amorebeautifulquestion.com. I just put those words together. And, and what you'll get there is all kinds of stuff on questioning. Um, I, that's, I pour in everything that I have, all the articles, all the research, there's fun stuff. I have a list of, for instance, of all the songs that have a question for the title. And so who wrote the book on love? I have fun things, anything to do with questioning. You can take an inquiry quiz to see what kind of an inquirer you are. Anything to do with questions is there on that site. And, and that's a fun place to go and jump around and, and, and dig deeper on some of these questioning issues. And then if people want to connect with me on, they can write to me through the website if they want to send or share questions. They can also connect with me on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is uh, GlimmerGuy, at GlimmerGuy. That's all one word, glimmer guy. Wonderful. Thank you, Warren. And thank you for this absolutely delightful time. It was wonderful, wonderful to connect with you. Now, this is great. I loved your questions, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge compliment. Thank you. It made my day. <laughs> it was fun. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. 